podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. This is Series 2 of our revamped New Look Mental Health in Sports series. This time around, the series is focusing specifically on footballers. Uh, we're going to be talking to current and ex-footballers about their difficulties with mental health, addictions uh, and similar subjects. In the current climate of the world, uh, we feel that talking about mental health issues is more important than ever. Uh, these shows will just be an open and honest account of some of the issues faced by these athletes at the at the height of their career and their life and uh, and how it's affected their lives and their loved ones or whatever it may be. Obviously, each episode is going to be focused on a, a different athlete or a different ex-footballer and it's everybody's situation and story is different. Uh, here at Ace Podcast Nation, we do lots of different shows and series featuring exclusive interviews, top guests, expert analysts and uh, more on various subjects. So you can get the video versions at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation and you can get the audio versions at the usual podcast and radio apps and platforms, the links to which will all be in the description below. Uh, so with no further ado, uh, joining me for each episode of these, this series is someone who's appeared on the channel before. And uh, he's back again to help us talk to the guests and spread awareness about mental health. I'm very happy to welcome my co-host, mental health support worker, Jacob, back to the show. Welcome back, my friend. Nice to be back. Yeah. Buzzing for this one today. So, yeah, yeah. it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I, um, our guest for today's episode is former Northern Ireland international, ex-Newcastle United, Blackburn Rovers and Manchester United winger, Mr. Keith Gillespie. Hi, Keith. How are you Hi, how's things? All good. Not too bad, yeah. Thank you for coming back on the channel because obviously no you were on the football show a couple of weeks ago. Appreciate your time, of course. Um, these shows, you know, due to the subject, we want them to just be as natural as possible with our guests um, telling their stories in their own words, with us kind of asking questions along the way and contributing from our own experiences. Um, and we're just going to really try and have a chat about mental health and spread awareness, but it's going to be a relaxed conversation. Um, so, for the people who might not be familiar with uh, with you, Keith, and because unfortunately not everybody is a football fan, um, tell us in your own words about you, your your upbringing, your kind of your your career, how you got to where you were today. Where did it all begin for Keith Gillespie? Yeah, I was obviously uh, brought up in Northern Ireland, um, and, and like most kids, just kicked the ball about, you know, in the street, and, and you know realised that it was. Um, I was quite good at it um, and then managed to sort of progress where as a 13 year old I went across to Man United for a trial and um, they wanted to sign me um, so I was a Man United fan so it was a no-brainer for me um, I signed um, as a 13 year old um, that was a, a, a on schoolboy forms with a guaranteed apprenticeship to move to England um, when I was 16 for two years and, uh, and and try and make it for those two years, uh, try and make it to professional level. Um, and, you know, I was I was very lucky because I was going to you know, a massive club in Man United and I, w- I was fortunate too in terms of the the sort of youth side that I, that I came through with with the likes of, you know, David Beckham and Paul Scholes, Nicky Buck, Gary Neville, you know, Ryan Giggs, Rob Savage. You know, we, we, had, a, we had a fantastic, uh, we had a fantastic team there, which, you know, benefited us as all because we 
we knew each other inside out. We came through together and, and progressed towards the first team. So that's pretty much, you know, in terms of the upbringing, how I got to, to go over to England, um, yeah. to, you know, to try and make it as a footballer. Um, what were you like as a as a teenager? Were you kind of well behaved and pretty laid back, or yeah, what were you I'd, like generally? I, my mum would probably say, yeah, I was well behaved. <laughs> probably that sort of changed when I when I left home. Um, yeah. You know, I went to I went to a grammar school. You know, so I had a good education behind me. Uh, but you know, for me, it was all about football and, and, and trying to make it as a footballer. Um, you know, and it's it, I mean, it is difficult because there's so many aspiring kids out there who want to be footballers and, and don't get that opportunity. And, and even players who go to clubs and, and have that sort of apprenticeship, and then all of a sudden they get told the bad news that you know they're getting released. You know, so I. I I feel, you know, particularly fortunate because I never had to go through that, and I know that must be, you know, very tough um, on young kids when you're told yeah. you're not good enough, um, you know, and that's that's something which can really affect young kids even from an early age. So, you know, I was I was quite lucky, and that, that that didn't happen to me. Yeah, I think in this series, one of the things we're going to talk about a lot is like pressure and um, and also rejection. Um, it's hard enough to take rejection as an adult. But uh, as a young, you know, as a young lad who wants to play football and wants to be the next, you know, David Beckham or what, you know, or whoever it may be, it's going to be difficult if you bounce around between academies. Obviously, in your case, you were fortunate that that wasn't the case. Um, did you? How were you for dealing with things like uh, like pressure and nerves coming into games and stuff like that? I think when you're younger, you you know, you don't really feel the pressure that much. It's it's sort of more as you get older. You feel the pressure, yeah. um, you know. I mean, there there is you know some sort of pressure there because you know, especially when you're when you're trying to make it in the game and you're going out and playing, you know, for Man United, you know, all eyes are on you, you know, at a big club like that. So it is important to perform. But I do think that generally a lot of people, footballers, would say that they never really felt the pressure when they were younger, and it was more as they got older, which sounds quite quite strange because you sort sort of feel like as you get older maybe it's easier to deal with the pressure but yeah of course you know it's it it, it doesn't really work out like that hmm. so when you were coming into the professional game sort of 17 18 i think you made your debut for united at 17 i think it was yeah. um what sort of um what was the culture like off the pitch for you lads were you all because obviously like you said some of the names in that youth team were just unbelievable when you were away from you know training and and playing, was were they all were you all very pro professional still, or was there kind of still a thing about you know going out for a drink and and having a good time? Yeah, to be fair, um, when you're an apprentice at Manyad, you're on forty six pound fifty a week, so <laughs> there's not really an awful lot there to you know to um, to let you go out. Um, you know, you go out the odd time, uh, but. Yeah. It wasn't sort of an every week, you know, type like of thing. A, like, a, um, like a culture sort of thing. No, and and you know, a lot of those sort of players that I mentioned, you know, they lived at home. You know, you had, you know, like yeah, Gary Neville local was boys, local. Uh, Nicky Bott was local. Paul Skull was local. Um, I I was in digs with um, with Rob Savage, um, and I would actually go back sometimes to Wrexham at weekends with him once he passed his driving test. You know, Wrexham was probably only just over an hour away, so he would invite me back, and I'd stay with with his family, which which was good because 
a lot of the time you're sort of just sat in the house on a Saturday night, so it was you know sort of nice to get away from from the surroundings that you were in all the time. But you know that, that it's probably where obviously the gambling started for me because um, what, what, just one day one of the lads in the digs, an older lad than me, said that I fancy taking a walk with him to the bookies, and I'd, I'd never been in the bookies in my life, and I do think that I've got this addictive personality where you know as soon as I went in, you know I was. That was me, completely hooked, and and from then on, I was there at every opportunity. That as long as I had, as long as I had some money in my pocket, I was I was there. Um, it was straight from training. As soon as training finished, I didn't go to my digs. I went straight to the boogies. Um, you know that was every single day. Um, wow. you know, and that's really how it sort of got a hold of me in in, in the early days. So even even at that young age. You were going there on a daily basis. Do you think that a lot of that's around like boredom? Um, not I mean even just um, yeah. I suppose boredom would be the best best way to describe it. Oh, well, filling well, filling that time, isn't it? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, it, it, it was generally a lot to do with boredom for me because you you're going back to your digs and you know you're sitting in you're sitting in your room, you know, and yeah. it can be uh, it can be very difficult. Um, you know, just sitting and and doing the same thing every day. Yeah, that's not to say I wasn't doing it. I was doing the same thing every day when I was in the bookies then. But uh, <laughs> I think I think that sort of, as I say, that addictive sort of personality took over because you know just the the buzz of sort of winning when you're when you're gambling is you know many people who who will listen to this can can relate to that. Um, so that was just that was just my way of of trying to overcome the boredom was. Um, you know, by going there, and where did when did it go from sort of daily sort of uh, bookies to then ramp up to the next level? Well, it, probably when I moved to when I moved to Newcastle, um, the first five and a half months of my life in Newcastle, I would signed there when I was nineteen, and you know, first five and a half months, I I, I was living in a hotel, so it was you know, as soon as training finished, you know, you trained in the morning. Um, you had a day off during the week as well, so you had so much time in your hands. Mm. You know, you finished training yeah. by sort of quarter past half twelve, and you're on your way to the training ground. So, again, I would be I would be going home, you know, to to a hotel room, um, and you know, I'm 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 new to the city. I don't know many people. The rest of the sort of players would have, you know, families and and kids, and you know, going home to to that environment where I was going home to an empty hotel room. So obviously wages wages increased as well so you've a lot more money to sort of play mm-hmm. with as well so then it obviously as wages increase you know your stakes increase every time and yeah. that 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 was all that was all fine then because going into the bookies if you had x amount of money in your pocket you, you lost if you lost that you walked out the real problem for me became when you know you could get a bet on just over the phone ringing mm, up yeah. and, and you know that side of things, you know, changing where you didn't have to, you know, physically go into bookies to get to get a bet on. Yeah, I mean, speaking from my own personal experience, like with gambling, when gambling became a bit of a problem for me, is I would gamble and I would find ways to get money until I literally had lost it all. And sometimes I would win a lot, but then I would still be, I wouldn't draw it out and use it for anything. I would just keep going and going until it was gone and then when i'd exhausted all avenues of getting money or i had no money left that's when i would stop and 
obviously like these days it's so easy to gamble mm. like you can do it i could do it now on my phone if i hadn't blocked all the sites myself but, <laughs> but you know what i mean like yeah. you could i could do it for my phone i could blow all my money in 10 minutes and f- particularly for young adults and i think young footballers specifically i think it's a massive um risk and in some ways i think these days i think it's more of a risk than than maybe drinking for the mm-hmm. younger players because i think younger players in some ways are happy to not go out and drink in this day and age because of social media yeah they don't want to get photographed you know doing this that and the other which they shouldn't be doing like i'm talking like the ones who were kind of just breaking into the first team maybe depending on what country they play for they might have been in the international squad if they play for a a smaller country like a wales or a northern ireland chances are if you're in the on the outskirts of a premier league squad or you're playing championship football on loan you're probably in the international Mm -hmm. squad yeah so you're a bit more well known than maybe some of the other boys your age and i think because they've got so much money at premier league level even when you haven't really played a lot of first team games Gambling is an easy way to yeah. pass boredom. I, I, I think you know, as you said, you know, they, they sort of, you don't sort of see an awful lot of young players out now, and and mm. you know that drinking culture as much now because of no. social media. But with the gambling, you, you know, nobody, nobody can ever know what no. you're doing in, in in your own house because you know you're picking up the phone and you're ringing up, putting a bet on, or you know typing a few a few things into your 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 account and and. And you're good to go, and and you know it's easy to keep that private, um, yeah. as opposed to the, you know, the going out drinking and the social media side of things, where you know people are are a lot of people are sort of out there to get to get these young oh, people gotcha. into trouble. And I yeah. suppose in today's climate, you know, clubs have closed, bars have closed with COVID, but the bookies are always running twenty four seven online, and I suppose that's when you know we might see in. You know, ten months. Once these, you know, some people, some players, they might be maybe doing the odd gambling before, but then with lockdown being on it yeah. every day, and so in the next ten months, we might be seeing the big push of sort of players going through. When I suppose when you're at Newcastle, you're still quite young. Then did yeah. and I suppose you probably maybe players around you go, well, he's a young young guy. He's you know, uh, did you have a family at that time? No, no. I didn't, you know. So, as I say, I went to I went to Newcastle when I was nineteen, uh, sort of January nineteen ninety five. But you know, the gambling then, as I say, because of you know my circumstances and you know a new city and just the gambling became more and more. Um, and then when I when I got my first, you know, where I could ring up and and put a bet on, you know, back in October ninety five, I lost forty seven thousand in one afternoon, um, and then. The following day, I lost another fifteen thousand. You know, so sort of sixty-two thousand in in two days. And you know, we're talking. You know, it's 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 a lot of money. But you know, back then, it's even more. You know, because we're yeah. talking 20, twenty-five years ago. And that's got to that's got to have a massive impact on your like your mental health when because like when you've lost lost that money, there's no going back. There's no getting yeah. it back. It's gone, and you get this kind of sinking feeling. Um, and that that must have had an impact on you, like on your mental health. Well, it it, it didn't um, it didn't affect my football because for for me, again, just being out there on a Saturday afternoon or just training, 
that was my only getting away from gambling. So, yeah. so that was all out of your head. So it didn't it it didn't affect me. And I think that's just the character that I am, where I I I didn't let it affect me. You know, I, yeah. I was fortunate that you know you're playing professional football and you're you're earning good money. You know, so you know there's always going to be that good wage at the end of the week. Hmm. And we yeah. um, do you drink a lot, Keith? I, I I I would social I would have socialized a bit. I would never ever have been a person who would drink in the house, and I never have been because yeah, you know it it doesn't do for me. I need to be out socialising with mm. people, and I've never ever kept drinking the house. Um, oh, right. so, so that wouldn't have been an issue alongside the gambling. Like you wouldn't have sort of oh, gone gosh, from not. losing money to then drinking or things oh, like no, that. No, not at all. I would would never even have entered my head that you know yeah. I'll, reach for the bottle here yeah, yeah. Thing. you know that was just something that you know i think most people would have known that i, I, I like to drink but i like to drink at the right times and then you yeah, know with, being out with you people know, and stuff you know and i i, I mean I, I sort of feel for people who, who are alcoholics because you know there's there's times obviously you've had a drink and the next day and you're thinking oh, there's there's no way i could even have a drink today and, and these people have these addictions where they just straight away mm. go for the next drink and you know, it, it it must be a sort of horrendous illness to sort of live with. I suppose then, like, a couple of years on, you're with your wife, kids. Is, did, was there, like, um, struggles at the beginning, like, with relationships with them noticing the gambling? There there was a little bit, you know, my first wife, um, you know. But, you know, I was earning, I was earning a lot of money, and so, again... You know, she yeah, knew I was doing it. She was doing it, and as I say, it was uh, it was me that was was earning the money type yeah. of thing. You know, mm. so um, I, I I got divorced then, so I did, and then I, I I met my second wife later on, and then had kids. I didn't have kids until I was um, 30, 32, 33. Had my okay. first kid, um, so you know that this was all going going on all this time that I was yeah. gambling and. You know, she wasn't happy with it, so it, it would cause sort of quite a bit of friction at times. Did, um, if you don't mind me asking, did the gambling uh, have an impact on the end of that first relationship or that first marriage? No, oh, definitely not. No. Definitely, for for me, separate. for me, it was a case I was just too young. Um, yeah. you know, I was twenty four. Um, she was twenty one. You know, so yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's very young. Um, yeah. and you know that. You sort of learn by your mistakes, so you do. You know, you should never have sort of got married so young. But you know, when you're when you're at the age, you think yeah. you think you know everything. Mm. Oh yeah. And um, I suppose, go on, uh, sorry, mate. Uh, no, go with, like with um, with that gambling, what were some of the darkest moments that it sort of led you to that gambling? Um, it was just something. You know, I wouldn't say you know, dark times. You know, because. There's times where you can win a lot of money, which I did at times. But you know that the, the reality is that the, the losers out, outweigh the uh, mm. outweigh the wins. And uh, as gamblers, he's always win, don't they? Well, exactly. But as as, as a gambler, um, you only ever want to talk about the wins. You never <laughs> yeah. want to talk about the losers. You know, and that's yes. just the way. That's the way every gambler would be, will be. You know, they they you know they can come in and go, oh, one ten grand last night. But they won't tell you about the twenty grand they lost the week before, you know. Yeah. So, oh yeah, that's just uh, that's just the way it is. The, um, I was going to ask you: was there was there anyone 
in your life who kind of noticed at any point, like, we're like, sort of say to you, you know, Keith, you, you know, is, is this gambling a bit of a problem or are you, are you doing that a bit too much or, you know, lay off it or whatever? No, you see, being away from home, you know, my family would have been very unaware of it, you know, yeah. because again, you're sort of, you're doing this in the privacy of your own home and, no, and nobody, nobody knows, no, yeah. um, you know, nobody ever knows what goes on behind closed doors. So, you know, I, I never, uh, I never divulged that much to, to, yeah. to many people. You know, people knew I liked to bet, but they obviously didn't know to what extent and in terms of the figures that I was actually betting. What about um, things like uh, you hear about like card schools on international duty and things like that? Was ever that anything which you ever used to get involved in that sort of thing? Yeah, we we had card schools. You know, Newcastle. You know, we had we had such long journeys. So it did from obviously the northeast to you know London and people places like Southampton. And all so you you could be on a bus for on a Friday afternoon for a Saturday game. You'd be on a bus, you know, for five and a half hours. You know, and there'd be, there would be a card, there would be a card school, and you know there'd be a there'd be a lot of money won and lost on on that card school. And again, when you're away with Northern Ireland, you know, you're away for double headers at times, and you're away for ten days, and you know, again, we're, we're there's not an awful lot you can do after training, mm. you know, because you're prepared yeah, yeah. for a game. So you end up you're sitting in, you're sitting in somebody's room and you're and you're playing cards all night. Who was some was, of the big uh, betters in the Newcastle squad? Um. Back then, we we had a card school, and you had Big Mike Hooper, who was the uh, the, the goalkeeper. We had Steve Watson, uh, Malcolm Allen, who Welsh lad, would have played a bit. Uh, this was in the early days. Um, Rule Fox would have played. Myself, um, there used to be uh, used to be quite a few of us um, <laughs> would have played, and uh, and then later on, we, we after a while we. we you know, we didn't do it as much then, and we we ended up we had a heart school, and we played for, you know, very very little money, but it was, it was still enjoyable because it passed the journey. You know, you'd yeah. play with Alan Shearer and Rob Lee and John Beresford, myself. You know, just to pass the time. You know, because as I say, it can be very long, tedious journeys. You know, sitting on a bus all the, all the time. Oh yeah, I can imagine this. Um... Like boredom being a massive part of it, and just trying to find something to occupy your mind and and yeah. kind of keep past the time. Do you um? I forget, and I don't want to mi misquote it, but I remember a couple of years ago there was like a this thing in one of the papers, which you can't always believe, about some England players on duty, but they'd had a card school, and one of the players had owed another player like a lot of money from it. Was there anything I ever ever like anything like that in the in the card schools which you used to do where players would end up owing like a bit of cash or Oh yeah, I mean there'd be times, you know, players could be twenty grand down you know, after a after a card school or even more. You know, but what we always did, we always did like a you know, if you if you say you owed fifteen grand, you know, I've been owed fifteen grand before and I've said, Look, just give me seven mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you know that's that's the way it sort of was. You know you, you know because I, there's obviously not that that amount of money sitting on the table. You know yeah, it's yes. all sort of it's all sort of Ozies, You know yeah, and you're yeah. writing down who owes what and all. So it um, it went on quite a bit. So it did. You <laughs> oh, needed yeah, plenty of, plenty of lead in the pencil, changing yeah. out and writing who owes what and crazy. Who was that? Who was that? All the players you played with. Who was the worst gambler but loved it? 
Um, well, with Northern Ireland, we had um, you know self David Haley played, uh, Damien Johnson from Birmingham, Roy Carroll, big Roy, big Roy's a great big lad, but Roy was uh, was pretty poor at the uh, at, at the cards and and would have lost on on quite a few occasions. But again, there's there's plenty. You know, I wasn't I wasn't actually too bad with the cards. You know, I would I would have probably won more than I lost with the cards. Probably should have just stuck yeah. to the cards instead of the horses. <laughs> Was it was it horses mainly which you used to do with like the online gambling yeah. and when you'd go in the bookies? It's um it like I again from personal experience I know it, just how quick it is, um with horses like you can get kind of I don't know it's like weird like I for just from my personal experience very quickly, um I started off where my friend said oh I I know this guy who does tips and he said oh I'll do it for Cheltenham. I guarantee you, you'll win. You'll win a load of money, depending on how much you put in. And then don't do any then until the next big event. Don't go betting on the daily like grade five races or whatever, which yeah. are terrible horses. And of course, I did that. Won a few grand at Cheltenham off not very much. And I was like, wow, I could do this. This could be my full time job. This could. So I'm just gonna <laughs> rate. You know, I'm gonna just. I'll do it every day. I'll be very responsible with stakes and. But you don't. Because no. you lose, and then it's like, oh, I need to put a bit more in to, you know. Obviously, like my situation is a bit difficult, different to yours. Like in when you were doing it, you were you were earning a boatload of money as a footballer. But it's the same. It's still the same uh, kind of mindset. Yeah. In that you, you play till you've got nothing, and in your case, with when you've got to a point where you're earning a lot of money, you're losing a lot of money. Yeah. Because the book the bookies always win. It's, oh, exactly. it's why there's, there's, that's why you'd never see bookies closing down, but you'll see yeah. pubs closing down and other I, I, I think uh, I think when you're actually in the bookies and you know, you could have a race going off at two o'clock, you can have a dog race going off at two oh two, you could have another horse race going off at five past two, another one at ten past two. And when I used to be in the bookies, I used to have them all written out already. And yeah. I'd be sitting with five or six in my hand and you know, waiting on them. And then you, you you can maybe win one, but you don't even get time to enjoy the win because you're already looking at the next one, trying yeah. to write out mm. what you're going to back next. You know, so. and, and for those people like who are probably listening who've never you know never met someone with addictive uh, addictive personality or gambled, who, who's struggling to identify with what? How do you explain that hold that addiction with gambling has over someone? I, I don't know. I just it's just something that takes over. Um, and again, it, it, I, I know for a fact that there's times, you know, you, you have £100 a horse, you have a £1,000 horse, mm. £10 horse. You get the same feeling, no matter what it is. They're just It's mm. just the actual buzz of winning. Mm. You know, and it doesn't matter how much you're actually going to win. You just get a buzz from winning. Mm. And, you know, it's just something that completely takes over. Um, I suppose and, it's that chase for the buzz then. Yes, Exactly. That, 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 that's exactly what it is. Um, as I say, it doesn't matter, you know, what you have on it. It's just the actual thrill and the buzz of of getting that winner. Mm. Yeah, the chase, the adrenaline of the winner. Yeah. And then, but then, like you say, you, you almost don't get the chance to enjoy it because you're already looking to the next, yeah. the next bet, and it's it could be never ending. Like for you, um. Do you look with hindsight? Do you look back and do you think there was ever any points where maybe other people could help you or a football club could have kind of 
helped you at any point or do you think because because of the nature of gambling and it being so easy to keep private that yeah. there was never really an opportunity for anyone else to sort of step in and maybe help you out no, no definitely not you know because of it is so so access accessible you know to to be able to put bets on um and you know even when it became sort of front page headlines when you know when i was at newcastle and you know they'd sort of front page was i'd lost sort of forty seven thousand in one day yeah. you know the, the club knew the club knew this and and you know spoke to me about it but that was it that was all was that was done then there was no right you need to go and seek help here or anything mm. like that there and and for a you know for a good couple of months i stayed away i actually stayed away from the bookies then because because it was sort of Newcastle's a bit of a goldfish bowl, and people would see, would have seen me get into the bookie. So now yeah. this is a this is bef- you know you know I, I I'd close the account down where I could ring up, and so the only way I was getting the penalty is if I went into the bookies, um, and people would have seen me, and then you know that would have been all over town again. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So I never uh, I I stayed away for a couple of months, but I always knew I'd go back. You know, and I opened the account again, and then you you know you're back you're back start, into it again. Start the cycle. Yeah. Um, just with going back to that, with them um, when you were on the front page of the news, do you think with Newcastle, like they saw it more as like a disciplinary issue to you as a player, as opposed to maybe looking at it like, oh, hang on, he's like a young lad, he's you know he's in Newcastle or whatever, and he's lost a lot of money. Should we see if you know he needs maybe a bit of help or whatever? Like their duty of care, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think just um, you know, looking back, maybe maybe so, but you know, I don't think in terms of gambling back then, it, it wasn't the sort of that topic that was spoke about mm. as much as it is now. You know, it's it, it, you can say the same about mental health. You know, yeah, in terms of how we've sort of progressed with things, you know, it's it's spoke about more now. Um, mm, yeah. You know, the mental health side of things. You know, I think ten years ago, you know, if you're going to come out and talk about mental health. It probably was seen as, you know, a weakness. Yeah. Whereas now it's probably seen as 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 the brave thing to do, and you, yeah, you know, people, you know, really can really see that. You know, so back then, the gambling wasn't, you know, that sort of some, yeah, some taboo topic. Yeah, I think the other thing I think back then as well is unless you were an alcoholic, yeah. I think that's the only kind of addiction yeah. or or mental health sort of illness that people that, that you'd have been able to uh yeah. the club would have been able to look at and yes. kind of maybe talk about or address with you just because of the nature like you say of the way things have changed yeah um, I, I think you know if you're an alcoholic you know that's something which is is going to affect you know your plan football yeah. Yeah. you know so i think at that sort of period there, there is probably more a duty of care for that type mm-hmm. of thing as opposed to the gambling yeah, I think so. Um, what was the the point whereby? I'm oh, oh, sorry, actually, go back quickly. That uh, newspaper article. How did they find out, or how did they get that story? Do you know the the the, the bookie who I was betting with had had sold the story to the uh, to the newspaper. So <laughs> that's bizarre. That is. No, that really? was like, like I mean, it was front page of the the Sun, you know, and I've got the uh, the Sun. You know, knocking on my front door, and you know I'm opening the door, and there's a 
camera uh, guy with camera you know yeah i didn't even see him and he's able to get a snap of me at the same time and everything and then there it is in the paper the next day was that like a stressful time like having media turn up at your door and stuff oh yeah of course you know because you know it, 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 i mean for me it's it's because of the figures at the time you know sixty-two thousand two days you, you know you gotta you gotta look and go well I actually have to earn a hundred grand for that sixty. You know, when you when you yeah. take into account forty percent tax, you know, and it's more the sort of embarrassment of it. Then you, know, I'm having to ring home to to explain that this story's going into the newspapers, mm. um, and you know, that's a it's, it's a hell it's of a lot harrowing, of money. Harrowing you know, and it's it's well, a, yeah, exactly. It's a tough phone call to to you know when I had to phone my mum to to make her aware that this was going in you know I didn't mm. want her picking up the paper blind and yeah, sort of, of all of a sudden so I had to make that phone call so that was that was probably the hardest part what was your your mum and your family's reaction to the kind of finding out that you'd lost that much money yeah well I remember I remember making the phone call and I said you know there's a story going on the paper and you know I've lost a lot of money and she's saying how much and I says a lot and she goes what well, 10,000 and I'm going no more and you know I, I didn't actually yeah. get, I didn't really get the figure. I, I didn't want to say Just the figure, yeah. it was more, and she went 20, and then more, 30 more. And then sort of got the 60, and she went, oh, son. And I was like, well, 62,000 actually. But, you know, it was just uh, it was just a really difficult sort of phone call to make. Something that, you know, most 20-year-olds would, would never have to make. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Was that the beginning of, like, you heading towards kind of rock bottom in terms of the gambling do you think no no because i i as i say i i i stayed away from it for for a while but then i went back to it and then you know continued doing it throughout the the rest of my career um did you go back harder than you did before in terms of um, the amounts and and the amount of time you were doing yeah it well and... i suppose when i suppose then even when i when i would go from newcastle to blackburn and you know the wages are increasing again you know, I, I remember signing for Blackburn, and you, know, you get a sign-on fee of, I think it was eight hundred and seventy-five thousand. You know, and you're earning sort of fifteen grand a week. You know, so the 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 money is there. So you're all, yeah. You know, when when you have more money to play with, you're gonna, you know, mm. bet with more. Um, so it probably, you know, was worse then. Um, with Blackburn. So you still you've like you say you've gambled all the way through your career, right up to and like I know you're still playing um, with uh, FC Mind, but when your kind of professional career finished, if you like, were you still gambling right up to that last day? Um, no, I wasn't then. Um, you know because I I then had a a family, um, and I, I I couldn't sustain it. Yeah. Um, and I just, I was able to sort of just stop myself. Um, okay. And I realized then that a lot of it was just, you know, down to the boredom a lot of times of, yeah. of doing nothing in afternoons. Um, so you know, it was, again, it was just so easy to, to get a bet on. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it, I think it's very important now for, for young players to have something you know, in a, in the afternoon where they are, you know, not going to be tempted. You know, the way I was because, you know, I I wasn't interested in doing anything else. I wasn't interested in taking up golf or, or what have you. 
you know that was what I wanted to do. And you know there is there is so much you know spare time for for young players, and you know they need something to sort of just stimulate their mind at times. You yeah, know, because... I'd like to think that clubs would help try and guide the young players in terms of helping them find ways to fill their time. Like I know they can't be molly coddled if you like and, and every minute of their day managed but you can you can talk clubs can talk to these young guys and they can say look there's dangers there and I, if i and know they the thing the, is the, the, they put sorry, do mate, the, like, they do like the tick box of every year yeah, yeah. someone's come in and talk about gambling uh, mm-hmm. i think that's but i think tri- sorry mate just to go on to what you were yeah. saying then, i think it's more important so like with a coach um, they might, young players, like 16, 17, 18, they almost view it as like a teacher telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get people like yourself or David Cottrell or um, uh, Scott Davis is like a non-league footballer who's done a lot of great work where he was a he was a really highly rated youngster um, at a Premier League club and he got into like gambling and drinking at a very young, like before he'd broken into the first team. And his career nosedived because of it. And he ended up not even making that jump to the first team because of his issues. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of work going around speaking to, you know, academies and academy players. And my point was, sorry, was that um, I think academy players and younger players will probably respond more and listen more to guys like yourself yeah. and the guys I mentioned than but- they would maybe a coach who they view as like a, a teacher or yeah. a boss. Well, I, I suppose... You know, being there and got the T-shirt. Mm. You know, yeah. I was lucky enough to 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 spend many years in England playing football, but you know, they're, they're obviously had problems along the way. You know, and it's important that it, that it is highlighted, and it's important that you know people like myself and others can sort of speak out because I think, as you say, being in that sort of environment and that that profile where you know people will listen to you more because you have actually been there and done that. Yeah, 100%. Um, so you just going circling back a little bit, you said about, um, you you know, you made yourself stop um, and you kind of, it was like your decision and, and you just stopped because you couldn't sustain it. Was there like one specific kind of incident which said, right, no, enough's enough, that's like I've gone too far or I've lost too much? Or was it just a general... Uh, combination of sustainability and also just the general effect it was having on you. Yeah, I, I think just the general effect it was having. Um, you know, and obviously married with a young kid as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so your priorities change. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, you you've got somebody to to care for now. And yeah. You know that can Which... that can sort of change your whole mindset of everything when you have your first kid. You know, Did you? Sorry, go oh, ahead. sorry. Did you notice like when you had re- them retired and obviously your kids are a bit older and you've got that more time on your hand, those thoughts of coming back of maybe I could pick it back up or No, I I honestly didn't. Um, and you know, I, I I would say, you know, I'd I'd probably do have a strong mindset in that because mm. you know, I think in, in terms of what I went through with the gambling, you know, most people would have had to to gone and and, and mm. sought help, sort of help yeah. you know, and I, I was just able to deal with that problem myself and and come out the other side. 
Brilliant. Yeah, I think that must it shows us real strong mindset because I know you said about um, like you had responsibilities, you had your, your your family to care for, which I fully understand that. But in some cases, for people, even though they've got that, they still can't control it, and they still end up gambling and and doing things and and creating situations which, even though they know we need this money to pay the bills or we need this money for little Jimmy's school trip, whatever it may be, it's they can't stop themselves. Yeah. And like I I had a little bit of that, luckily that like, I was lucky that I never kind of really, you know, did anything too bad. Like I just spent a bit of money which I shouldn't have and you know, I still shouldn't have and I felt like crap for days afterwards. And I still look back and I get really annoyed with myself for you know, doing spending money which I shouldn't have been spending on yeah. you know gambling and I, I, th I think um, with gamblers and the, and they put a bit, they always sort of think right I'm going to win this much this is how much yes. I'm going to win this and is and then gonna I'm going to use it for this yes and they you always think ahead that yep this is going to this is going to come yeah. in for me this and is then it doesn't and then and then you got the problems oh yes um, I know um, you've spoken you know quite publicly about the wanting more people to talk about mental health awareness particularly young men um what instigated that sort of that mind or that, that process thought process for you that you wanted to encourage people to discuss mental health well, well when i uh, i had my autobiography come out in 2013 um and for me with autobiographies you get one chance at it so I wanted it to be like a warts and all type tale and I wanted to speak about my sort of depression um, in that um, because as I say I think you know people who have sort of read the book have, have they've always sort of said about how, on, how honest it is and how it comes across and I think you get a lot of credibility out of that but again being in the sort of public eye for, for many many years me coming out and speaking about it, you know, I've had various messages from people who have read the book and it, and it has helped them. And I just thought that that was a great opportunity in terms of the book that I could get it out there um, as somebody who was in the public eye. And because I think a lot of people just, um, as far as foot, you know, as far as they see footballers, you, know, they 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 probably wouldn't think this could happen to footballers because they just think everything is so rosy because you're earning. You know, thousands of pounds, and 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 that's not going to happen to you. But you know, in all seriousness, it, it can happen to anybody in life. Oh yeah, um, and that's something that needs to be really highlighted, and it, and it has been now because there's been more and more people coming out, you know, in the sports world talking about you know the problems that they've faced with, you know, mental health. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, your book is called How Not to Be a Football Millionaire. Um, and it's actually it's on my Amazon list of stuff which I've got to read. It's like a never-ending thing, but I am <laughs> when I do really want to read it because I think it's something not only that I'll probably be able to relate to a little bit, um, but I've heard from someone who I trust implicitly when it comes to uh, sports books that is an excellent read. Um, so obviously, look, gambling and. Um, similar things addiction and things like this they can lead to uh you know they can lead to other mental health conditions like depression um and sadly there's been some high profile suicides within football uh over the last 
well, um, obviously Gary Speed took his own life in 2011. Um, Chris Barker took his own life earlier this year, uh, former Cardiff City player. Um, and I wanted to kind of touch on and mention Gary Speed because um, everyone who I've kind of spoken to doing the podcast and stuff and everything which I've read and other interviews I've seen, uh, a lot of his former teammates, a lot of his sort of close friends, they didn't realise that he was suffering with some sort of depression um, and they all seemed to be very shocked by it. Um, obviously, you were a former teammate of Gary's at Newcastle and Sheffield United. Um, I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about him, um, like how you felt when you found out and, you know, just that sort of thing, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know I don't know anybody has a bad word to say about Speedo. He was a, not only a fantastic player, he was, he was a, you know, a fantastic person. He was great to be around, great in the dressing room. Um, you wouldn't never ever know that he was suffering from from anything because of mm. how he, how he was around the dressing room and he was one then that you know especially when he came to Sheffield United everyone looked up to him uh you know because of the fantastic career that he had um you know he was he, he was just an incredible guy um you know somebody that you know was proud to share a dressing room with because in terms of you know going out on the football pitch you know, you knew what you were going to get from Gary Spade. You know, he was a hundred percent and a fantastic player. But um, certainly, I, I remember when I heard the news. Um, I was in Manchester at the time, and it was just one of them that you just, for days, weeks, months, years, even afterwards, you sort of still think to yourself, you know, did did that really happen? You know, because yeah. it was just, it was a bolt a bolt out of the blue. You know, there was just. As you say, ex-teammates, you know, would never have known that he was suffering, um, and you know, it's uh, it was just such a tragedy because, as I say, he was he was an incredible guy, um, and and I, as I said, an, an amazing person to sort of be around. Yeah, yeah I think you hear from a lot of people it's, it was like a missed opportunity, but and I think also, you know, the great sadness that's come from it. I think it's given actually the football world a big, massive shake-up and going, you know, look, this is one of the greats that we lost because we weren't talking about it. And, yeah. and you're right, what you were saying earlier, about 10 years ago, no one cared about mental health. No. You know, I, I've worked no. in mental health for 10 years and I remember when I started, we'd, stuff like this just wouldn't happen. No. Uh, like, talking, I remember writing to a supermarket asking, and saying, we're from a mental health, can we get a donation? And they were like, nah. So the foot, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, we're now, you know, it's a completely different world. So, I think you know, if we look at some of the positives that you know, if we can say positive that come from it, I think it shook the football world up massively and gave it a good old kick up the arse that it needed to say, look, there's young young men that are suffering in silence that are putting on this act that we're fine. We're actually behind the scenes. You know, there's some real issues there, and I think in years to come when we look at like the legacy of Speedo and like what his achievements on the pitch and like all the amazing stuff I think also a massive thing that people remember is you know that time when he did pass away I think for me definitely I've seen a massive change in the culture of football and then mm -hmm. you know just stuff like on BBC Sport and talking about it more where no one was talking about it before and I think you know it was it was a really sad thing but also it's I think that's something I, I hope his family would be 
really proud of that legacy that actually has yeah. changed a lot of, you know, really bad, probably poor um, stigmas and stigma, and but just, also just that's... things from like clubs. I think before clubs didn't care about uh, their players' mental health. Even now, no. it's still not great. But I think um, well, there's mo- there's more like awareness, and if if players can't you know get it from their club or the PFA. There's other players coming out and sharing their experiences where before, you know, it just wouldn't happen. You know, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I think as well in terms of blokes, you know, we, we're not we're, we're built different from mm. females. You know, females will share their problems a lot more than what we will. But you know, I think now with you know, if you can get blokes coming out and talking about it, you know, people can see that you know there there is there is help out there. You know there is people to talk to, and, and, and you know people sort of you know get into this sort of situation, blokes especially where they just keep everything in in their heads and they don't, you know, bring bring it out. You know the no, problems that they're having, really and, and I think as soon as you actually do speak for that first time, they, they you know the the release off your shoulders is 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 incredible, and yeah. uh, as I say, it's important that. You know, as many people speak out as possible, um, yeah, you know, absolutely. because it is it is, you know, something that is being talked about more and more on a on a regular basis, and unfortunately, you know, the, the statistics, you know, are, are so so high. And um, mm, you know, yeah. I think even in, in young men in Northern Ireland, it's sort of twenty five percent higher than anywhere in the in the oh, rest wow. of the in, of the rest of the UK. So. You know, there's there's you know se- severe problems over here with with people suffering from mental health. So, the fact that I've, I've I'm now involved in a football team, FC Minewell, where we have boys who have suffered from mental health, and we were able to get the message out there. And um, we're in a WhatsApp group, and and people come on the WhatsApp group now and they share their problems with us. You know, and it's it's That's great. Awesome, you know, nice. because you know even just last week we had one of our players who. Who didn't leave his, his room for a couple of days, you know. And this is a grown man and hasn't left his room for a couple of days. And he's he's turned up to football on Saturday, and we, we've played. And he, he's actually our captain. And he's come out after the game, and he said, "Look, lads, you you've no idea. I wasn't even going to come today, but just thank you so much for for letting me be a part of this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not one bit of me just thought about anything different other than playing football on a Saturday afternoon there." And you know that's that's great. You know that we we can have that sort of bondness, and and we're linked to a mental health uh, counselling service as well. Where you know we we, we want to raise money for them and uh, and help them and help as many you know touch as many people as we can. That's amazing. Really and I, I think tonight. that's where you're seeing mental health at its best in grassroots, low level football compared to you know the PFA and all this, they'll say they're doing a lot of stuff, but you're seeing all these amazing community groups, small clubs that are starting up that are doing these amazing bits of, you know, service. Looking that, after each other. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's, it's something that I think, uh, it's probably getting missed by big clubs. And I think that the, the pressure on, uh, professionals is so high. I just don't think the PFA I've really understood about mental health. They might say they are, but I think it's still there. But I there's think work to be done. I think yeah. when there's a big group of fans that you know they'll have this belief of football. You know, footballers should be earning this. They they should. They're entitled. They've got a great life. They've got nothing to moan about. So when you have a footballer, then to come out and go, actually, 
you know, I've struggled with this, I've struggled with that, you know, this idea committed suicide and stuff like that. It really resonates with those fans to go, actually, yeah. shit, they yeah. are sort of more like me. And, yeah. And the work, you know, me and Sia are doing, you know, chatting to all the footballers, uh, you realise actually we're, we're all exactly the same. We've all exactly. got our life's experiences. Um, and once you sort of knock down that barrier, go, we're all men sort of get bubbling through life making yeah. decisions wrong or rightly and hopefully learning from that. And I think once you can start doing that pieces of work, I think especially more fans can enrich themselves and go, okay, I get it now. I get, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe that is why that person struggles or maybe I am struggling and I just didn't realize. Yeah. I, I think the fact that the three of us are sitting here now, three guys talking about it, you know, and wouldn't have happened sure, 10 years I'm sure ago. Plenty of people would, will come across this who, who maybe, are suffering a little bit in their head and with a little bit of depression mm. and you know what do they do next you know and yeah. the fact that we're sitting here talking hopefully that will help as many people as possible Absolutely. you know speak to somebody um you know and, and and get that help that that they need yeah and, and who someone, thought someone's got... stuck in the that's that cycle of gambling as well yeah is that they can like hear yourself and me a little bit talk about being stuck in that cycle and and getting out of it yeah, you know, I help. That's and that's the aim of the whole series with this is is talking to people about their experiences, and if you you know if we've me and Jacob have talked like we're happy if we can reach one person. Yeah, and they can understand. Look, they're not on their own, and there is a way out, and there is, you know, it's not all kind of doom and gloom because they're stuck in this cycle of whether it's gambling or drinking or they're just suffering with a mental health condition. Mm -hmm. That's the aim. Yeah. Absolutely, it just takes more of us to do it. And just to put it into perspective, um, going quickly back to suicides, um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, James English. Uh, he's got a podcast. He's a Scottish guy who's got a podcast. Was um, one of the biggest podcasts in the UK. Uh, he has various guests and stuff. But he put a little clip on Instagram the other day, um, and he said, in the last month, the amount of deaths to COVID nineteen compared to uh, the amount of deaths to, uh, to suicide, suicide is actually higher. Yeah, I did and when you think of that. When you think about like the fact that, you know, all the, the restrictions and various things to try and stop this spread of a pandemic is going on, mm -hmm. like let's try and stop the pandemic of suicides in yeah. young people, particularly young men. Exactly. And that's what I feel like anyway. Um, okay, I'm going to close this up there, but... Um, Keith, thanks so much, mate, for, for speaking so honestly about no the, the issues you've had and, and just giving us an hour of your time. Um, you really, you know, I enjoy speaking to you, as I said to you before, but obviously with this subject, it's a little bit different. But I hope, like I say, we can reach reach some people and uh, spread the word and keep getting more and more people to talk about it. Um, and Jacob, as always, thank you very much. My I friend. loved it. I was just no thinking problem. we're going to have to get me and Sai up there for a friendly <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I'll have to referee I got, I got walking stick oh, come on I got, excuses got a walking stick walk, man <laughs> but, uh, my, yeah. my legs are struggling as well so I can't get about the pitch no. anymore <laughs> yes so um, lastly I also I'd like to finish the shows off just by saying that uh, if anyone watching or listening is uh, if you or your family member is battling an addiction or they're struggling with mental health just know that you're not alone. Um, we're all in it together and you can get through it. You know, reach out to people, 
uh, whether it's professionals or friends or families and uh, you know talk to someone uh, as a good friend of mine says keep on keeping on and uh, I'll drop links to all our social medias in the below post and I'll also drop the links to the Mind Mental Health Charity and uh, the Facebook page for FC Mindwell as well so people mm. can have a look at that That's and um, we'll be back next Sunday for another episode of Ace Podcast Nation's Mental Health and Sport seems to spread the word remember be kind and uh, hashtag don't be a dick Podcast Network.